we have been entered into the family of God. We are accepted in the beloved. We are fully accepted. Now he is our comforter and our teacher. Welcome back with Pastor Scott Huffman from Lighthouse Church Ministries. Today's message is a new covenant of blessing. The introduction today highlighted one of the seven principles of the new covenant that Pastor Scott is going to be talking about. So make sure to have a notebook so you can jot them down. But just in case, they'll be included in the episode notes. Pastor Scott is joined with his wife, Marilyn, and daughter, Kelly. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining. Um, Hey, Job. How are you in Uganda? Hello, Job. Um, keep commenting so we know. Just wanted to say that um, we just are very thankful for you. We get a tremendous amount of messages and comments throughout the week on the messages. Yes, we do. And um, you're sharing on your pages with your friends the broadcast. So See, just, the Word of God will change you forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing that. And also just know that we are praying for you. We see your, your questions and your prayer requests, and we are praying for you, and we love you, and we bless you. So continue to send those. Um, and also, you know, um, there's a lot of anointing in the messages that Pastor Scott is teaching. So just encourage you through the week, not just Sunday, to listen again and go back on. You can listen on YouTube and on Spotify, um, on our podcast, on Apple. And so just continue. Wow, to, we're all over the map. We're all over. We're on basically every platform, maybe TikTok one day. Um, so just continue to um, listen and um, and write us Be messages. Part of us. Yeah. Share the broadcast too, because our last message kept going and going and going. The numbers kept going up. Right? Yeah, God. it did. So um, just thank you, and um, and that's all I have, Dad. Back to you. All right, praise God. Well, the anointing is the power and presence of God uh, upon the preaching of the Word of God, and that'll change your life forever. All right, Kelly, let's go to Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Okay. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. When you think of the word covenant, what comes to your mind? I think of the word promise. A covenant is an agreement or promise between two or more people that usually has legal ramifications. We have a new and exciting covenant with God as believers in Christ. But what was the old agreement? Good question. And why was there one? Really, when you talk about the old covenant, you're referring to the many covenants that existed between God and man. God created Adam for intimacy and fellowship and relationship. It began with God's covenant with him and his descendants, which the Lord renewed with Noah after the flood. In this covenant, God promised dominion or authority over the earth to mankind and life everlasting in return for obedience. Let's take a look at Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them. Good morning, Marilyn. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Um, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, man was created for dominion, for authority, for leadership. We all have that innate ability within us. And when it's God-directed and uh, God-generated, it can be a great blessing to other people. But you see, Adam failed, and he disobeyed in the garden. Eve was deceived, and Adam deliberately disobeyed and because of that the Bible says in Romans through one man's disobedience sin entered the world and the relationship between God and man was broken the intimacy was gone God walked in the cool of the garden and he cried out where are you Adam and Adam went and hid himself because he was afraid and naked you say the next major covenant in the Old Testament was the Abrahamic covenant 
which was unique and so much different than all the other covenants in the Old Testament. The entire covenants of the Old Testament were based on promise through what? Obedience. And yet the Abrahamic covenant was based on promise. It was unconditional, not based on a condition like all the others. Isn't that awesome? It was what I like to call the blessed covenant. Now let's read that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, concerning Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So all of these blessings that were given to Abraham, the Bible says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. All those blessings are ours in Christ, and more. Praise God. So Abraham becomes a prototype of a New Testament believer living in the Old Testament. Remember, Abraham came 400 years before the law was given. Uh, and yet, yet Abraham was a tither, which is kind of interesting, because tithing was instituted in the law. But Abraham was already tithing prior to the law. And he gave a tenth of the spoil to Melchizedek, who was Christ in a physical form. Praise God. And he worshipped Christ there after the slaughter of the kings. So Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God and was accounted him for righteousness. This Abrahamic covenant would be realized in the new covenant found in Christ, so that the blessings of Abraham might come on us through faith in Jesus. Let's read Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we, we realize that in Christ, he was cursed for us. He became a curse on Calvary's cross. I remember we were in Israel, and we were trying to find Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, the place where Jesus was crucified. And we finally went outside of the city, and we talked to some Palestinian people, and they directed us to a bus station. And there, behind this bus station, was the hill where Jesus most Bible teachers believe, was crucified, called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Very interesting. Well, Jesus was a curse for us or became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the next covenant was the Mosaic covenant. That was the covenant of what? Of law, right? <laughs> Moses, the lawgiver. This is the covenant God establishes with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. After he led them out of Egyptian slavery through the Red Sea, God supplied the law that is meant to govern and shape the people in the way they should live and conduct themselves. But it was once again a conditional covenant. If they obeyed the law, then God would bless them. But if they disobeyed the law, a curse would come upon them. And that curse was born by Jesus himself on the cross. Why is that? Because no one can keep the law in and amongst themselves and be made righteous. No flesh is justified in the keeping of the law in God's sight. So really, the law was a failure. The law is good. The law is righteous. The law is holy. But nobody can keep it, right? It fell short. Uh, because in and of itself, nobody could keep that law, and they failed miserably to follow the commandments of the Lord. Which, by the way, guys, if you still try to live by the commandments of the Lord, you're going to fail. We call that religion. And you'll never profit trying to please God in one's own efforts. 
The law is true, but you can't come to Christ. You can't come to salvation through the keeping of the law. This led to further separation from God because of the failure of them not keeping the law. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 7, perhaps one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved in Wait stone. What's the ministry of death? The Mosaic, law. The Mosaic Covenant, right? Uh, on, written on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not even steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Stop there. Remember when Moses received the Decalogue, yeah. the Ten Commandments, right. uh, God wrote the Decalogue with, the, with his own finger in tablets of stone. Yeah. And at that place, God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed by and Moses saw a portion of his glory. Well, that glory uh, was attached to his face. And his face shone with the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God. But when he came off the mountain, he had to be veiled. He had to be separated because the people could not steadfastly look at that glory. Well, of course, that glory is restored in Christ. Amen. And now we can behold the face of Jesus Christ. Praise God. But that ministry was a ministry of death, the law, that is. And um, it couldn't bring the people to a place of righteousness. It was a ministry of death, guilt, and condemnation. And there are Christians today that are still living under condemnation. You're still walking in a pile of guilt. And you're still living under the Old Covenant. I call these people Old Testament Christians. That doesn't work. Uh, That's a a paradox there. It shouldn't be. Uh, That's an enigma. It doesn't make sense to me. We need to live in the New Covenant. That's why we're preaching today on the New Covenant. You've got to let go of the old to walk in the new. Now let's take a look at that New Covenant found in the New Testament as instituted by Jesus himself. He called it new wine in new wineskins. Let's look at Mark 2, 2, 2. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but the new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now, what's this all about wine? It's not about drinking wine. It's about the fact that wine represents the joy and gladness we have in Christ. Uh the spirit of jubilee that comes upon us when we receive the Lord into our lives, the new birth, if you will. You see, Moses, under the law, turned water into blood. That was one of the plagues. But Jesus turned water into wine at the feast at Cana, the the wedding ceremony. And so we see wine is a spiritual type of joy and gladness that we have in Christ. I remember one day I got a prophecy, and and the guy told me that I had the joy of the Lord in my life. And that God had given me the spirit of dance, to dance before the Lord, just like David did. Let's look at that blessed ministry that Jesus was called to preach. He preached it in Capernaum, his hometown ministry. We've been there on the Sea of Galilee. You can go to Capernaum, guys. You can go to the synagogue where exactly Jesus preached. It's underneath the ground, but that's where he preached in Capernaum, his home base. And the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful lake, and uh, what a majestic place it is. Praise God. Let's read that. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to, to comfort all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. <laughs> The oil of joy for oil morning. Oil of joy for morning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The world is under a spirit of heaviness, but we have the garment of praise that breaks the power of the enemy and the world over us. Hallelujah. We can live a higher and more abundant and effective life. 
Still reading? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He didn't say I came to bring religion. He didn't even came to preach the law. He came to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, and to let go of those that were bound by the enemy. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. When Christ healed the sick, that was a sign and type of his power over the enemy and his work to come and destroy the works of the enemy. As believers, we've been invested with the same spiritual power to overcome the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. That's sickness, disease, death, amen, and sin itself. The old ministry or covenant has passed away to make room for the new. (laughs) I'd rather be driving a new car than an old jalopy, wouldn't you? (laughs) God said he'd establish a new covenant. Hebrews 5.8, 8.8.8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You know, we were talking about this new covenant that God has made uh, with Israel and with the people of God. We are spiritual Israel as believers, and uh, we have this new covenant. And I was thinking about the Jewish people, right, and uh, the fact that um, there were two temples that existed under uh, the, in the Old Testament under the Jewish uh, law. And the first temple was whose temple? Solomon. Solomon's glorious temple. What a beautiful temple. Now, that temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians, and the Jews were taken to captivity by the prophetic word of Jeremiah. He said, for 70 years, you will be drawn, taken away into captivity, and you'll be slaves because of your disobedience uh, of not keeping God's law and turning away from the Lord. Their greatest sin was turning from the Lord. And there we quote in the book of Psalms, and there we sat by the rivers of Babylon, And we hung our harps upon the willow trees. And we sang the songs of Zion no longer. And there we wept. They found themselves in captivity. But after 70 years, Jeremiah said the people will return the southern kingdom, which are the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Very good, Kelly. And those two tribes would return. And they did. And uh, Zerubbabel went first. And he rebuilt, excuse me, uh, Jeremiah went, I'm sorry, we'll get it right. Jeremiah prophesied that Nehemiah would go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel would come and the temple would be rebuilt under um, Josiah the king, Josiah the king, and um, Ezra the prophet. And there the law was instituted once again and the, pro- and the temple itself was rebuilded, rebuilt called Zerubbabel's temple, which later become, became Herod's temple in the time of Christ. Now, what happened to Herod's temple? Well, Jesus said, because you, as Jewish people, have forsaken your Messiah, you've turned from your promised Messiah, judgment will fall on Jerusalem. And it did. And in A.D. 70, the Romans, there was, God put a hook in their jaw, and they came down in Jerusalem and annihilated and destroyed the city of Jerusalem completely. There wasn't one stone sitting upon another stone. And the temple was destroyed. And now that all that remains in the city is the remnants of the wall, the rampart wall that went around the temple, which we call the Western Wall. We talked about this last week, the Wailing Wall, where people go and pray and leave uh, paper prayers in the wall, which we have done as ourselves. Even the President of the United States, President Trump, left prayers in that wall, and many of the other uh, presidents as well. 
So will the temple be rebuilt a third time? Bible prophecy teachers say yes. Now that's an enigma because at the temple site is the Dome of the Rock, this, this mosque and uh, Islamic temple that sits on the Jewish temple site. Wow, we got a problem, right? <laughs> and there it is today. We'll see what happens in the future. But the Bible predicts that that temple will rebuild, be rebuilt. Now, whether it will be a literal temple or a spiritual temple, which Christ built a spiritual temple when he rose from the dead. And we are part of that spiritual temple. We are living stones. We make up the temple of God, this spiritual temple. We are the body of Christ. Well, I got off a little bit, but it's okay. Let's read Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, which were the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Okay, so you had the earthly temple, but you have the heavenly temple. Jesus went into the heavenly temple as our great high priest and made atonement for our sins and his blood, his innocent perfect sinless blood was sprinkled upon the altar and our sins by the blood of Christ have been eradicated that word eradicated means completely removed and done away with they do not exist anymore your sin and my sin and all believers in Christ sin has been completely removed forever to be remembered no more God said he would bury your sins in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. He would separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. And you can go west as far as you want, but you'll never start traveling east. And you can go east as far as you want, but you'll never go west as long as you go east. <laughs> he separated our sins away from us. And he's given us a pure and clear conscience. Hallelujah. Now I want to look at some principles of the new covenant very quickly, and then we're going to close. Uh, number one. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. God has poured out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And now we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Within us, we become temples of the Holy Spirit, God himself. John 14, 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor, hear, nor, nor knows him. And you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, he's our friend. He's our paraclete. That's the Greek word. It means one who goes along beside us. He walks beside us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's not our condemner. The Holy Spirit does not convict Christians of sin. So, oh, pastor, I know my pastor taught me that. Well, he taught you wrong. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin judgment and righteousness but not believers we have been entered into the family of god we are accepted in the beloved we are fully accepted now he is our comforter and our teacher praise god and we have been removed from condemnation and now we walk in the word of righteousness number two with the ministry of righteousness as i just mentioned we have been freed from condemnation and guilt romans 8 1 and 2 probably the most powerful two verses in the bible there is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit and life 
and Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, we need to walk in a higher law, a higher spiritual law. Uh, we've probably all flown an airplane. I'm sure most of you have. And you understand the law of lift. What makes that airplane fly? I don't know. It just goes up. No. There's a principle, a mathematical, scientific principle. First, you have a jet engine, the law of jet propulsion. For every action, there's an opposite equal reaction. As that jet fires, it thrusts the body, the aircraft forward as the, uh, the exhaust goes outward, backwards. And in that thrust, it causes the plane to take off. But then as the air passes over the wings, we get what we call the law of lift. And it allows the plane to lift up off the ground. And what an amazing thing when you're up in a plane and you see the, the wings kind of shaking a little bit. They're lightweight. Um, birds <laughs> have hollow bones. Why? Because they have to fly and they're lightweight. An airplane is relatively lightweight. <laughs> Still very heavy. But, and it's able to carry all these people. Well, that's the law of lift. Well, in the spiritual realm, the law of lift supersedes the law of gravity. And we know Newton said, hey, that apple falls to the ground. What makes that apple fall to the ground? He figured it out. All things are pulled to the center of the earth by the power of gravity. Gravity. And uh, that gravity holds things like us on the planet. But you could supersede that law with the law of lift with an aircraft in aerodynamics. In the spiritual realm, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. You do not have to be subject to the law of sin and death like the world. They are subject to the law of sin and death. We are not subject to that. We are now freed, and we can walk in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Did anybody get that? <laughs> so we no longer have a sin consciousness. I remember some pastors used to teach me, oh, the closer you get to God, the more you'll be aware of your sin. Where did they get that? I don't know, the moon? They didn't get that out of the Bible. The closer you get to God, the less you are aware of your sin, and the more you are aware of the righteousness that dwells within you, the, the nature of Christ within you. You have, you are partakers of his holy nature. God dwells inside you, and you have his nature inside you, and you have been made partakers of that divine nature nature praise god Woo! get a hold of that the new creation and you'll walk in victory do you want to walk in victory yeah. i do you can number three let's move on the ministry of access what is that pastor hebrews is all about access the right to come into the presence of god hebrews 4 16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of trouble find mercy and grace in time of trouble we can come what boldly to the throne of grace we can go behind the inner veil when jesus said to tell us die paid in full it is finished and he died and gave up his spirit the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom this massive temple curtain was torn god tore it apart and said the way is open come on in you can come into my presence through the blood of jesus christ number four the ministry of greater glory Second Corinthians 3, 9, 11. Okay, Second Corinthians 3, 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious and had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. 
The new glory is the glory of this, is the ministry or the covenant of the Spirit that we have in Christ. And it's greater than Moses' glory. And Moses had it going pretty good. <laughs> His face was aglow with the presence of God. And we're, we're in a better gloria, glory, a better uh, manifestation of God's power and presence is now accessible to believers. Praise God. Number five, ministry of power, anointing, and unction. We have a supernatural unction that comes from God to perform the miraculous. Hallelujah. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Jesus said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The remotest parts of the world. And that's where some of you guys are right now. Number six, this ministry is a ministry of greater excellence because we have the true high priest. Moses was, or Aaron was the high priest of the Old Testament, the first one. But Jesus is the true high priest. He is the mediator of this new and better covenant. So Moses was inferior, or Aaron, but Jesus is superior. Hebrews 8, 1, 2, and 6. Now this is the main point of things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle where the Lord erected not a man. By the way, he's seated at the right hand. So are you. So am I. And you say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because we're in Christ. We are seated in Christ. He's raised us up to sit in heavenly places. So if Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, you sit at the right hand of the Father. And if you sit at the right hand of the Father... Is there anything above you? No. Everything is what? Below you. <laughs> Everything is under your feet. Okay, I don't care if you're the bunion on the little toe. It's still under your feet. Sickness, poverty, death, sin is under your feet. Go out there and walk all over it. Exactly. <laughs> all right, go ahead, Mayor. Verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And then 1224, I don't know who has that one. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Praise God. All right. And our last one, ministry of blessing. We are a part of the new covenant, which is a ministry of blessing. The new covenant assures us of blessing. You are blessed. The people of God are blessed. I don't care what Satan's trying to tell you. You are blessed of God. And God will provide all your needs. God will drive sickness away from you and bring health and healing and strength upon you in the name of the Lord. If you'll believe him and believe his promises and stand on those promises through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Ephesians 1, 3, Marilyn. Um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How many spiritual blessings? Every, all spiritual blessings. And I love this, Psalm 133.3. I bet you didn't know that was here, there. <laughs> it is like the dew of Hermon. Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Life forevermore. That's what it's all about, guys. Life forevermore. We walk in eternal life. Let the peace of God be upon you. The grace of God be upon you. Hey, if you're in the United States or anywhere around the world, have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your turkey. Blessings to you. We'll see you next week.